0: It's kind of funny when I, when we did our claps, it apparently woke my Amazon up.
1: <laughs> don't oh man, why. I know nothing about those things.
0: Yeah, we're all automated in our house. So. Oh jeez. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to another episode of Kendall versus Kendall, where we crank through the ins and outs of the bike world. We're back and jumping in where we left off in our Wheel Wars series. Last time, we covered some history and how the world of wheel sizes evolved and grew. Today, we are going to start looking at present-day wheel options and what the future looks like. To take us on this journey, I'm joined by my talented on any wheel size co-host, Jeff Kendall-Weed, and I'm Seth Kendall.
1: Let's get rolling. Hey, guys. If you recall, we left off talking about how new tech and standards helped to usher in the movement of good modern 29 inch bikes. The byproducts of these changes opened up the door for more than just 29 inch wheels though. Which brings us to our first question, Seth. Has the dust settled? Are we done playing with wheel sizes? I think the industry
0: uh, as we see it right now is a pretty clear indication that not even close. I think that the volatility of this area is pretty high. With that being said, I think brands and manufacturers are probably a little bit wary about just jumping right into a bunch of new wheel sizes and new standards because there is uh, some customer fatigue with new standards and wheel sizes.
1: Oh, man, I see the opposite happening. I see brands wanting to jump on new wheel size bandwagon immediately. So you saw fat bikes just go bonkers a couple years ago. I think that was a good instance of it. I think the 27.5 thing, everyone was rushing to get one out quickly because people that missed the 29-inch boat wanted to be there 27.5. You saw companies like Specialized miss 27.5, and then they're right there again pushing hard on all kinds of 29-inch things, and just any old different wheel size, I think folks are really keen to jump on it ASAP, but they're also... There's a lot of fatigue, like you were saying, they're very hesitant and worried about it, but they're also very ready to be looking for the next hot new thing. So it's a weird world where folks are kind of trigger happy, but kind of at the same time, there's a lot more anxiety with these decisions than there were a few years ago.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably more accurate than what how I posted that. Um, you did mention um, fat bike, and that's an interesting one for me because uh, currently out in the Midwest, and uh, fat biking is like a, a real thing out here that people are all about. Uh, when I was on the West Coast, not so much. I mean, there there is some of it, but n- not nearly a, the level that we see here in the Midwest. Uh, but I think you know my gut here is in watching kind of the trends around the nation is that fat bike has kind of rescinded a little bit um back from its like it it had this huge growth over the last handful of years and now it kind of feels like people are kind of backing off a little bit on on that do you seem to be getting that on your kind of west coast perspective
1: man fat bikes were never huge out on the west coast people were buying them i don't know what for but i don't think anywhere near the kind of volume of where it's actually snowy because honestly, really, even in most of, I mean, if you get over the Cascades in Oregon, yeah, it's snowy enough to validate a fat bike, but anywhere south, a few folks in Tahoe, Reno, that area might've had them, but I did not see many fat bikes in California. I would occasionally see someone on the trail riding a fat bike, but I would just kind of wonder why.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, it, it it's a super planted feel. And so for people who are just out for adventure and cruising, uh, I think it, it works great. Tons of grip and... Uh, comfortable ride and all that uh, and I think that's part of why it's so popular kind of in the Midwest especially if you go to places like Minnesota where they've got snowmobile tracks that they've you know done and there's some really cool videos of them ripping around on these snowmobile tracks but for a lot of the nation that's just a inapplicable use and so um, they they always get outperformed basically by their 27.5 and 29 brethren um, so Interesting to see. Um, what other wheel sizes? Because I think the consensus here is that uh, we are not done with wheel sizes. So, what else do we see going on out there?
1: That's a good question. You know, I see the 29 inch plus worlds kind of continuing to exist pretty strong. That new Trek, um, I think it's the stash mm-hmm. full suspension bike. That thing's got a lot of good hype behind it. The road plus has been taken off really big yeah. time. And I see a lot of folks jumping on that bandwagon. And I wouldn't be surprised if Road Plus continues to grow over the next few years, which is kind of interesting because, you know, historically roadies have been very <laughs> wary of going to bigger, heavier parts. Yeah. So to see them embracing that is it's pretty interesting. But I think it makes sense for definitely the average road rider, way more than a 700 by even 28.
0: Yeah, I I currently ride a... Uh, with- actually measures out as 700 by 43. Um, the tire size is not accurate on the tires I'm running, but, um, you know, I love that setup, but I have to say, I am real curious about throwing a set of six fifties, uh, with a plumper, uh, tire size on there, uh, for some of the roads that we see out there. So I definitely get it. And I think maybe some of the adoption rate on that is because uh, with the advent of kind of this gravel world or B road riding, um, you're seeing a lot more mountain bike culture, people moving over into the road world. I know for myself, I actually got back into cycling via road and triathlon and then fell back in love with mountain biking and Almost completely forsook all my road riding stuff. Um, And what brought me back to the road was actually these gravel bikes. And I love that I can just, you know, mob almost as quick as my road bike, not quite. But then as soon as I see a trail, I just dip off. And so I think that's where this 650 plus kind of thing is just kind of killing it because I can still ride fast on the road, but I can dip off and
1: get real rowdy. And on the road too, it's super comfortable and you can run 40, 45 PSI. You're just floating around, no big deal. If you have a nice wide rim on there, your tire's not going to collapse on you in a hard cornering instance. So it's a cool setup. The outside diameter of the 650 by 47 is the same as a 700 by (laughs) 30. So it's not that drastically different in terms of the size or whatnot, but you have a ton more cushion to work with. So your weight will go up a little bit because rubber is heavier than whatever you're using to make your rim. But man, that's such a cool setup. And I think we're going to see a ton more with the advent of, um, not really advent, but just the acceptance of disc brakes in the road world. That's really opened it up to try that kind of thing. And when I was hanging out with uh, John from the Radivist earlier this year for that video down there, he was mentioning that none of his drop bar bikes run anything but a 27.5 by 2.2 wow. tire, which is even bigger than a Road yeah. Plus. John does tons of dirt road rides, tons of that stuff. So he's a little bit gnarlier than the average dude. Is primarily pavement-based, yeah. but... Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Like the old mountain bike size is now the yeah, road size. Right, that used to be <laughs> even
0: on the big side of XC tires. So that's, that's pretty funny. We get a lot of people out in this area that do things like the Dirty Kanza. And there's definitely been an uptick in the number of 650 wheels in that race um, just for the comfort level of it over you know, 200 miles. You sit there going, yeah, I need to be comfortable when I'm riding that long. Uh, so I think that's definitely a, a real factor.
1: Can we ask the question, what wheel size is best for what type of rider? Or is that just so subjective that it's not really a question we should throw out there for everyone? Man, so yeah, I, I hesitate on that one, right? But, um,
0: but I think we can answer some generalities about that. You know, there are pros and cons, and, and the, the lines between the pros and cons from wheel size to wheel size, I think, blur further and further. Uh, back when 29ers were first kind of doing their things, uh, wheels were flexy, the rims were weak, the, the wheels and, and tires were heavy. So it was real easy to be like, oh, here's a 26 wheel and a 29 and they perform vastly differently. I think that's starting to get blurred to where if you're not paying attention or looking for the nuances, it's hard to tell the difference between a 27.5 and a 29. But with that being said, there are differences. Um, You know, my 29 bike has a slightly longer wheelbase, and it takes more body English to whip it through corners um whereas the my buddy's 275 that's a very similar bike super fun is a little snappier through corners But with that being said, I actually oddly find myself really liking the feel of my 29ers through corners because of the extra body English. And so it requires a more kind of visceral writing experience in in my opinion. So we'll continue to state that, that this is very much opinion. We're not telling you that 29 (laughs) is right or 27 is right or any of that. This is for you guys to decide. But my experience is that I actually have kind of fallen in love with that kind of hard throwing the bars around, you know, really having to dip the frame for my 29er, uh, to snap it through corners. And I love that. Whereas other people, um, and myself included uh, in old bikes, I actually really liked the the snappiness of my 27.5 and 26 bikes. If, if we went back further, uh, you know, they, you kind of just steer them and they just snap through corners and everything. And, um, That used to be what I loved, but now I definitely kind of like this visceral style. It's a little more like I keep, you guys can't see the video here, but I keep like flexing my arms like, (laughs) you
1: know, so (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've got a great statement on what wheel size is best for what type of riding rider, but Generally, I think the more airtime you get, the smaller your wheels yeah. should be. Simply due to physics, you know, keep it easier to throw around when you're in the air, and then keep it stronger when you're landing a little bit sideways. Yep. It, I, there's times when I love having big wheels hitting jumps. There's times when I'm not quite so into it, and I'm not very tall. I'm only five eight. So when I try to tuck the back wheel up and dip the front end down and nose in on a big jump, sometimes I'll get my backside a little bit mm-hmm. with that big twenty nine inch tire, and then I'm like, ah. That's not so rad, so.
0: Yeah, and I've had that same same experience, uh, probably not quite on the level of you. I was just watching one of your videos, and the, the teaser photo was you just boosting, and I was like, yeah, I don't think I'll ever jump that big. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, with that being said, though, I mean, it, clearly if we look at like your latest Ritmo video and stuff like that, um, man, you're you're definitely getting at it on 29ers, and so definitely want to emphasize that you know there are probably things where the 27.5 is better um, in that sense, in jumping and everything. But at the same time, man, these 29ers can really get at it these days, and I would say for most riders, uh, not being at the level of a guy like you, a 29er would work great with that being said if uh i'm actually probably going to be building a downhill bike because we're moving back to the west coast so uh my downhill bike for sure i'm going with 27.5 because i i want that playfulness i want kind of the strength of those wheels and everything
1: are many 29 inch downhill bikes even publicly available yet i
0: there's a handful um you know it's it's growing for sure and we have to thank the the DH race world for this Uh, and we'll talk about that just a little bit here in a a second but the number of available ones is small but it is definitely growing and uh, us as retailers with Jensen USA we definitely see this market about to hit really hard Um, and I've ridden both I've ridden 27.5 and 29 and I'm similar I'm right around 5.9 and change Um, so I'm not real tall uh, and the 29 DH was super confident, really planted, but less fun in the air, less fun in the corners. Um, it wasn't, wasn't my favorite now, granted, this was a few years ago, so things could have changed, but we then take a look at some of these riders out there. Uh, I think of like Greg Menard, right? Super tall dude and killing it on a 29er. So, um, I think there is some consideration here for body type and style of riding. And ultimately, if you're looking for the snappiest thing, I think uh, a 27.5 is going to be the the way to go. It's going to steer better. If you want to mow through stuff a little bit more, the 29er um, is going to kind of give you that planted, stronger straight line feel.
1: You end up at a kind of an interesting little bit of a a junction and an intersection too, because in the downhill race world, there's sort of two main styles you got to work with. There's the folks that just monster trucks straight Mm -hmm. over everything. And those are generally the bigger folks and the folks that can do that smoothly, like Minar, for instance, do really, really, really well. But then there's smaller guys that are, you know, like our height or even smaller, and they have to steer around Mm -hmm. everything and just pick the absolute smoothest line regardless in order to keep up because when when you're so much lighter than these bigger dudes, you lose speed a lot faster when you try to monster truck and not be smooth. So some folks try to build their race bike to play to their strengths. Other other folks build their race bikes to make up for their weaknesses. So there's kind of two philosophies in how you build your race bike. So you could make a pretty good argument for someone smaller doing the bigger wheels so that when they do make a mistake and they don't have that same momentum as a bigger person, they would get penalized less. But that might be taking back their biggest advantage, which is being nimble through the really rough sections. So it's a really, I don't think there's any great statement of what's right. better, but that's been a long, a longstanding debate on the right way to build up a race bike.
0: Yeah. We've, uh, we've mentioned my buddy Andy McMullen a few times, uh, in these podcasts and this it comes up multiple times cause he is the guy who led me down the dark road of 29ers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's funny cause he always asked the question of, do I buy a bike? to play to my strengths or do I buy a bike to play to the bike strengths? And I think that's a really interesting question and it uh, resonates with what you said there. Cause uh, you kind of have to answer like, am I trying to enhance the things that I'm already good at or am I trying to um, kind of improve the things where I'm challenged? And uh, I don't know that there's a correct answer. I look at a guy like Danny Hart who, man, that guy is so freaking nimble on his DH bike and I struggle to think about him riding 29er bikes. And I'm not going to say whether he chooses to or not over the next handful of years. I know he's dabbled, but um, that's that's up to him. Uh, but you look at his riding style versus Minar, and one is kind of wild and ping-ponging all over, and the other one is, like you said, kind of more straight line and mobbing, and yeah you you got to pick your bike according to that so yeah i'm not sure that there is a right wheel size um but ultimately you just kind of have to look at uh, what strengths you're looking for and play to those now with that being said all these bikes are fun so i always say like eh, if you make a mistake you know sell that bike and get into the one you like. And I realize bikes are expensive, so it's not quite as easy as that often. Um, But I don't think that people are going to make a wrong choice on bikes much these days because bikes are so good and wheels are so good. And so, you know, you can at least learn from whatever wheel size you land on. So, we've been talking a bit about like 29DH, and that's a new thing within about the last two years. And we transitioned from 26DH to 27.5DH setups a few years before that. And it was fairly smooth. There was a little bit of debate here and there, but mostly riders and um, uh, customers out there were pretty okay with moving to 27.5. Uh, for whatever reason, this seems to be a hotter issue when going from 27 to 29. Any thoughts there, Jeff, on why this is a more hotly debated issue going to this wheel size? Is this a culture thing, a performance issue? Is Does this have to do with the type of race courses? What do you think's going on here?
1: You know, one thing that has been popping out to me is I think the downhill scene is very much European right now. We have Aaron Gwynn. Uh, Nico Mullaly, a bunch of really fast U.S. guys tearing it up right now, Dak Norton, tons of them. But, you know, in all honesty, if you look at the top 80 at a World Cup, there's only going to be a handful of guys from the U.S., and there's going to be tons of folks from Europe. And I remember back when the first 29ers really came out and 29ers were getting really strong around 2010 or so, the guys in Europe weren't so fond of them. They really liked nimble bikes, and they thought handling and the – Sensibility, And they have all these great words that are translated that make way more sense in their language than in English for what a bike should ride like. And they were not so pumped on 29ers way back when. So I wonder if that is basically why it's a little bit more of a contentious acceptance of the bigger wheel size than the 27.5 thing was. Because 27.5 was a pretty easy sell in Europe mm-hmm. when it came out. It was like a reaction to having gone what they said was too big previously. So we saw 27.5 do real well in Europe, and now that the 29-inch downhill thing's coming around, it might be the same argument again. So I don't know. I I think that's a big part of it. And I was going to mention, too, that on the sales side, it was interesting in Asia, it was really difficult to sell 29-inch wheeled bikes as well. Interesting. But then 27.5, everyone thought it would sell great. It was still difficult to sell 27.5. In Asia, there's this uh, often this idea that bikes made by the, the Westerners are built for people that are really tall, mm. and that the Asian community is not so tall, and therefore, these bikes are too big, and we're trying to ride something that's not super appropriate. But in reality, I think it's more of an imagined idea than it is actual fact. So, yeah, and that does affect sales. I mean, the Korean bike market is one of the biggest bike markets in the world. Oftentimes, it's like right behind Germany and what my sales numbers wow. would show. So. That has a pretty big play in what gets developed and all that. You know, it's not just the U.S. as the standalone leader of the whole world. There's a lot of other really important markets, too. But yeah, back to the original question. I, I think it's that European overwhelming influence in the downhill. Yeah, and I
0: think that's that's legit. Um, I think the other thing that's been um, maybe playing into this, too, is Um, there definitely seems to be some contention with race courses. You know, we have some of the greats out there that are amazing. They're hard. They're long. They're super technical. You know, they have wide open spots. They have jumps. They have huge rocks. And then there's some courses where in a sense, feels like a glorified cross-country course. And I I say that with a lot of emphasis on the glorified part. They're way more than a cross-country course. Um, But they are definitely more wide open, straighter, faster tracks. And um, I think there's a little bit of a worry from both um, the pro rider side and kind of the amateur DH rider that this is going to be a trend towards you know, flowier, smoother trails. And the whole point of DH is that it's gnarly, right? Like that's what it's supposed to be. So I think there's a little worry that if, if we pull in this wheel size, then we'll start catering towards that wheel size. Um, and I, I, it makes me happy to see guys like Minar out there who still are killing it on really technical courses on big wheels, because I, I, I personally am okay with having both 275 and 29. Like, that doesn't affect me in the least. And I'll probably pick 275. But I I know there's going to be people who prefer the 29. And so I like the idea of just proving to them that, like, hey, we're not going to neuter these DH tracks that are out there. And the ones that already are kind of on the soft side, we'll call it, I think those are going to get voted out as the riders continue to push back on trails like that and just kind of show their like, hey, we want to ride gnarlier things. So, I, you know, that's a gut uh, feeling on my part, but I really do feel like there's something to that. And again, that's somewhat cultural, right? That's the the rider culture is kind of pushing back like, hey, we want gnarlier trails. So.
1: Man, I don't know. I think 29-inch wheels can handle the gnarlier trails often better than the 275 can cuz they have a little bit more traction, they have a little bit more rollover. You can simply get away with more. You've got a bigger <laughs> margin for error. So I'd think those bigger wheels could handle the rougher tracks actually better than the 275 could. So I don't think that course design is going to be based around what bikes the guys are on. I I don't know. I don't see it. I I think course design is going to continue what creates good racing. And if you have something that's not gnarly enough, then it's just a pedal fest. And it's not going to be enough of a difference on TV between the various riders for it to be engaging. Whereas if it's technical enough that you can see different riding styles shine through different approaches to the track, that'll create good engaging racing. So I don't know. I don't think it's much wheel size.
0: Yeah. And I think I think we agree on that. We're putting the verses in Kendall versus Kendall here. (laughs) Um, I think we agree on that. Like, I don't think that the 29ers struggle in that. Um, But if you look at rider interviews to a lot of these races, and if the question comes up, which it does often, of like, are you choosing 29? They'll, you know, be like, oh, yeah, this is a wide-open course, so my, you know... Uh, top end rolling speed is faster on a 29er, so I'm going to choose that. And so uh, that's kind of more what I'm leaning to. Is not that the 29ers can't handle the the gnarliness. Um, it's you know that it's the same reason if I were picking a cross country bike, which I have, um, I would pick the 29 wheel because my my top end uh, rolling speed is going to be higher in the wide open stuff. And so anything that I might sacrifice in other places is going to be made up for by Kind of that pedal speed that I'm able to carry through there. So I think we're similar, but maybe different. <laughs> so.
1: so Seth, all that said, what's your current arsenal of bikes? Why are you riding them and for what type of, of riding? Yeah, so I'm actually
0: downsizing because we're about to move. Um, but if we look at recent history for me, it's almost all been 29ers. Um, I'm on a gravel bike that's, you know, 700C, uh, but with wide tires and um, I this of 29 I also have uh, just sold a Ripley LS that I was on and testing for the year Um, and I loved that bike a little bit short travel for the way that I ride I found myself kind of uh, bottoming it out on a lot of jumps and stuff but super fun snappy little bike um, and then I have a custom-built hardtail that also is 29er. With that being said, when I built the 29 or, or that hardtail, I actually got a you know a custom frame that was able to tuck in 29 plus or 27.5 plus because I really wanted this to be something that I could kind of keep over the years and evolve with me as I played around with what I liked in wheel sizes. So I've played with it um, with uh, 2.8. 275 plus and really liked it. It's super cush. If I was doing adventure biking, that would be kind of my
1: my go-to number. So it'll fit 275 plus, 29 and 29 yeah, plus also. So it's got
0: this oh, weird, weird
1: back end
0: that's all wide and arched and I had to get a extra long spindle for uh, my cranks to to fit, but it's awesome. It's fantastic. What's the, uh, BB drop on Oof, that bike, man. Okay. So you'll learn something about me here. I can tell you all about how to work on a bike and I can't remember any of my <laughs> geometry numbers. I will say, uh, it definitely was low when I was in the 27 five plus setup. Uh, that's part of why, uh, you know, I think I would end up with, um, this as an adventure bike. If I did the plus setup or if we were riding in more snow and whatnot, um, I could see myself going back to the plus wheels. Um, for that reason, it shines though as a twenty nine er. Like it that's where the geometry feels the most dialed, and uh, I did go to a two six front and a two three rear, uh, and I found that kind of to be my magic point of speedy snappy rear that's you know the tires 200 grams lighter by just being a little smaller and you almost can't tell the difference in size uh but that front end uh you know just grips a little bit harder through corners and you can really just get on it without the tire folding under jumps and stuff like that so it's been my play bike and i love that i'm able to play around with different wheel sizes. But with that being said, I think the home for this one is 29. Um, I did spend a year on a Mojo 3 as a 27.5 plus up to 2.8. And for me, the 2.8s were a little bit wandering a little bit squidgy under hard corners or jumping both in the takeoff and the landing I found that as I compressed through my bottom bracket you know pushing down on the pedals there was a little bit of a wander that happened there and then when you'd land there was a definite squirm that happened and so I went to 2.6 on that and man that seems to be my Goldilocks tire size I did get rid of that bike and I have a buddy riding it and he absolutely loves it uh killing it on that bike but that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I think a big part of this is that I live in the Midwest right now. And, uh, you know, our trails are smooth flowing, real grippy um, with lots of jumps, but not a lot in the way of tech and nar in our area. And so that 29 wheel size plays really well to the kind of wide open, fast riding that happens um, and then
1: is still really fun on the jumps. So that's kind of my current lineup. What's going on in yours? You know, I've got five bikes. I have a dirt jump bike and a trials bike. They're both running 26 inch wheels. Dirt jumper has pretty small skinny tires on it to not tear up pump track. The trials bikes running vigilante uh, 26 by 2.3 tough high grip front and rear. So that's a real fun bike. And then uh, my three mountain bikes, I've got my Ripmo, my HD four and my Mojo three. I like all three of those. I definitely ride the Ripmo the most. And I'm getting really bored of our local trails because honestly, that bike makes them too easy. Interesting. Right now, it's like it's Goldilocks conditions. It's perfectly tacky and there's minimal mud on the roots. So I don't need to worry about hooking up traction wise on the roots. And then it's not so dry and dusty that it's death slippery. Our summers get really treacherous here. It gets really slick when it gets dry here. So right now, conditions are so mellow that the Ripmo is honestly making my trails kind of mellow and easy. So I'm starting to ride the HD4 and the Mojo 3 a little bit more. Um, All these bikes have regular 2.3, 2.4-ish size tires on them. I really like the 2.5s on my HD4 with the Ibis real wide rims. Um, I haven't measured those tires recently, but I bet they're real close to like 2.55 or something, which rounds up to (laughs) 2.6. But I'm gonna be riding my Mojo three more for the coming weeks and months here because I'm sick of riding my Ripmo. It's a super fun bike. I love it. puts a smile on my face. But I have to find really gnarly trails and ride them really fast to get into that, like to get any adrenaline going. Whereas the Mojo three is so much sketchier. It's so much more likely to throw me off into the, <laughs> the woods. That it's just <laughs> it makes things a little bit harder. I got less travel. I got a little bit smaller wheelbase, uh, much steeper head angle, so that's where I'm at. HD4 is great, I'll be taking it to Whistler this summer, um, a bunch, and riding the steeper trails here, but yeah, I'm split between the Ritmo, Mojo 3, HD4, and I'm leaning more towards the small bike right now while conditions are good.
0: Yeah, no, and uh, like I said, I'm with me moving, uh, my arsenal's getting smaller, so I'm basically gonna be on that cross bike, gravel bike, and um, the hardtail in the time being. You know, as as I'm heading out to the Northwest, I'll be asking the same question of like, what's the perfect bike for me? And I I haven't lived out there on the West Coast for several years, and haven't lived in the Pacific Northwest for many years, and so the trails have definitely changed since I was out there um, last. And I think I'm. It's going to take me a while to kind of figure out what that magic bike is for there for me. Um, but I, you did mention the, the dirt jumper and, um, trials bike. And for me, I have a dirt jumper as well. That's primarily pump track stuff. I'm not a big dirt jump guy. I'd love to be, but I'm getting old and uh, (laughs) I have my BMX that again, not a talented BMX rider, but, um, I love those two things. And while we're talking about wheel sizes, you know, one's a 26, one's a 20. I love those two things because they do excel uh, because of their wheel size and frame geometries and all that at what they do. Um, and so I think that's the thing that we kind of want to emphasize with our, our listeners is you got to kind of ask the question of like, what am I doing or what do I want to do? And is there a, a wheel and frame combination that plays best to those things? And, uh, I, it, that was a scary movement for me because I picked up BMX way late in life. I mean, within the last few years and jumping on a 20-inch bike was just like uh, i felt like i was losing
1: my mind cuz it was way too small but <laughs> everything happens very quickly yeah, on a BMX like bike like so snappy <laughs> but and the margin of error is so small, you've got to be really yeah, on it. Yeah, but
0: the thing that's been great is that, that because I, I chose this time to play to the bike's strengths and not to mine, my strengths actually grew in that situation. And it's made me a better rider when it comes to my 27.5 and 29 bikes that I've been on over the years. Um, so, uh, you know, definitely want to emphasize that we asked that question of, is there a right wheel size? And the answer is no. But each one will help you grow in different ways. So uh, it's definitely something interesting. Well, let's jump into kind of what the future looks like here. We talked about where we're at with current stuff, but where do we see this heading? So where do you think we're going with wheel sizes and tire sizes?
1: You know, I think we're going to stabilize for a little while here at 29, 27, Road Plus, I think, is going to continue to grow, and I think those general shapes will continue forwards for a while. There is a significant obstacle in creating yet more wheel sizes, and that's due to the minimums on tire manufacturing. So I don't see us having a ton of new wheel sizes in the immediate future. Fair enough. Yeah,
0: I think uh, I think the thing that's going to ultimately open up doors to uh, move us into other sizes is tire weights because a big factor for a lot of people is that when they look at, you know, jumping to 27.5 plus or whatever, you either have to give up the strength yeah. or you have to gain a bunch of weight. And uh, neither of those are ideal. And so I think once we start to get technologies and stuff that push the tire side of things to where it can withstand the riding style of people while still being light. We might start to see some of these other tire sizes um, either start gaining more traction, uh, pun intended, I guess, (laughs) or we might see even other uh, tire and wheel sizes coming out. With that being said, I don't think manufacturers are going to deviate much from kind of the 29 and 275 realms. You know, we'll see plus and uh, things like that. In there, but I think for the most part, those are gonna stay the same. There is this weird one of 26 plus that's coming back, which is only weird because we kind of, you know, moved away from 26, and now there's a little bit of a movement heading back there.
1: Well, I think a lot of that's geographical too. Like, we're not seeing a ton of that in the States. I did see some requests from the Asian markets for the 26 plus to get all the benefits, 27.5 plus, but in a marketplace where historically 27.5 wheels are seen as way too Mm -hmm. big. So that's an interesting one that, you know, regionally, it'll probably become way more popular, probably in Southeast Asia in particular, it'll be way bigger than than it would percentage wise be here in the US or even in Europe. Yeah, for sure. I I think that's totally
0: accurate. So I think you're kind of right. Like, I think we may level off a little bit. Um, and I think that's good, right? We talked about, uh, customer fatigue and all of this. And so,
1: um, you know, well, there's so many gains to be made entire technology still. I think it's kind of ridiculous that we see guys, top EWS racers, flatting out, Uh top downhill racers, flatting out and all, you know, the Cush core, all the various different types of foam tire inserts, all these new technologies to improve the current existing setup. They're starting, but I think our biggest changes in the next little bit here will be to the technology within these existing basically two sizes yeah
0: absolutely it's going to have a lot less to do with the specific wheel size and much more to do with how that tire integrates with the wheel and functions uh i think you're absolutely right so it's it's tire tech that's kind of Holding things back and hopefully that
1: advances. Yeah, tire tech hasn't increased that much really in the last 10 years. Tubeless has gotten, you know, we've gotten pretty good at getting things mm-hmm. tubeless. A lot of that's been the rims have improved and the beads have gotten really consistent. And a lot of folks are finally getting on the same page. Some are still doing bigger bead seat mm-hmm. diameters so they can use non tubeless certified tires at tubeless without being a huge liability risk. But yeah, in general, even those setups still work pretty yeah. darn good. But this brings us to a really good point. How does new technology fit into all this, like boost and super boost? And I think we can go on for this for a while, but we mentioned consumer fatigue. If you look at the pink bike comments on any new bike, they're always tearing it apart for boost rear axle spacing or whatnot. So you mentioned super yeah. boost, right? Did we Did we go too short? I mean, because obviously I think the one that
0: took off or the one that's generally accepted and there's some big industry players that i think help to make this generally accepted uh but you know boost is the the current main standard and going from 142 to 148 uh, yeah we got some marginal gains and stuff but should we have just gone far farther like should we have just gone to super boost and done what pivot did and um you know what's your thoughts on that
1: you know, that's a whole complicated deal. So back with when 135 through axles mm-hmm. came out, you know, they came out early 2000s on some downhill bikes. My M1 could work with a 135 by 12 through axle, right. for instance. It was hard to find that axle, but it was adapters to use a regular 135 by 10 QR wheel, which okay. is what I did because I didn't want to go buy a new axle or whatnot. So the 135 12 thing existed for a long time. I was at Ibis when the HD 160 came out that used the RockShox Maxle. A bunch of other companies were on this too. And 135 by 12 was a huge upgrade over 135 by 10. Just that through axle was noticeably stiffer. Your suspension worked better. Your bike tracked better. I think it, honestly, it sprinted better. <laughs> Pedaling performance was improved by all that extra rigidity. And I think the biggest limitation to not going up to really what we should have done, which is the 150 by 12 Mm -hmm. standard, it's actually due to the drivetrain manufacturers that were really concerned about chain line. And especially with a triple crank set on these bikes, you can't, I don't know if you can or can't or what, but if you're using a 150 rear end and pushing your drivetrain out so far in the back and you're trying to use a triple in front, your chain line is going to be pretty off from what the, um, the SRAM or Shimano really intended when they were right. designing that. So going to 142 by 12, that's really the same spacing as 135 by 10. Nothing if the chain line has changed mm-hmm. there. The hub flange width is the exact same on 142 as on old road bikes from the last hundred years, 135 by... Actually, no, those were 130. Uh, Charlie Cunningham, one of the WTB founders, was the first guy to push out rear hubs to 135 right. for mountain bikes back in like eight, 79 or something. But anyhow, over the last few years, we've seen we've gone up to 142, which wasn't it was a lot stiffer. It worked great. You had shoulders to hold your hub in place. So it was an upgrade over 135 in some regards, but it wasn't a huge update. When we got to the boost, things actually started getting stiffer in terms of the hub flanges are further apart. The wheel builds a little bit better. But if we had just gone to that 150 and we just got Shimano and SRAM involved then and changed the drivetrains at the same time, that would have been a pretty cool right. setup, but I think folks would have been bummed about their heels hitting the chainstays while they're pedaling with their narrow Q factor cranks. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of this comes back into it. And then you look at what Pivot did with the super boost 157. You know, I'm an Ibis guy through and through, and you know, I have a lot of respect for the Pivot crew, and I think that was a really good idea. I kind of wish that took off sooner and that more folks jumped on the bandwagon. I wish it would have come out. Three right. years earlier, and I wish they wouldn't have called it Super Boost. <sighs> yes. That name is, it's a great name, but it's hard to accept after you've had to deal with getting all new parts. Yeah, it Boost. did just kind of feel like the middle finger from them.
0: And unfortunately, it felt like the middle finger to customers. And I know they didn't mean it that way, but like it was just like, oh, you just got Boost. Check out Super Boost. Like, <laughs> you know, it was like, come on, yeah. name it anything else. <laughs> but but no, I, I think I'm with you. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, I ride Boost bikes. I, every bike I own um, that's mountain bike is a Boost bike. But there is this part of me that's like, man, I think we should have just gone a touch wider and, you know, really established things. And it would have taken a measured effort between multiple different aspects of bike manufacturing. It's not just frames. It's not just wheels. Like you said, it's drivetrains. And, uh, you know, we saw SRAM uh, drop their new dub setup and... I was actually a little surprised on that one that we didn't see kind of a uh, maybe even a play towards Super Boost, but I know Sram's pretty invested in the Boost Now um, setup. And so I think that's maybe the frustration that myself working in the industry has as well as our customers. Um, you know, it's that it often feels like these brands aren't necessarily getting together and saying, hey, how can we make this awesome? for the customers as a whole. And it it is a larger conversation. Um, And some of these brands, you know, Shimano, SRAM have the ability to dictate what happens um, by what they decide to put out there. And so there's a little bit of frustration there.
1: Yeah, but they're also pretty receptive to their customers too, because they know they need to have OEM acceptance to push anything. So I don't see Shimano really as pushing folks towards one way or the other. They just have certain confines they have to work within because they're manufacturing so dang much componentry for the world. SRAM, I think, has been pretty on it with trying new things. First and foremost, like they really pushed the one by thing ahead of Shimano doing that, and that kind of got a lot of folks accepting it. Now Shimano just has a great reply to Eagle with their new XTR. And I'm hoping that we can
0: actually talk about that in a future episode. So uh, definitely, uh, we'll talk about that offline before we present that to the world of our our fans.
1: (laughs) It's very much worth mentioning, though, that a lot of these wheel sizes play into the one by yes, drivetrain. Because when you're trying to run the old school triple crank set, you need a lot of space around the bottom bracket for the front derailleur. And that really limited tire width on 29ers. That was a huge thing on the yep. old Ripley. So getting onto the Ripmo that's one by specific, you see a lot more tire clearance back there and a shorter chainstay, which is awesome. It's a win win. But it was one by drivetrains were not an immediate sales slam dunk a lot of folks especially big folks riding at elevation with like a backpack really struggled with the one by thing so luckily here we are one by is taken over we can run these cool 29 inch by two six tires we're finally here and one other thing we're seeing, too, is the inc- the improving of brake technology, yes. which I think comes from both e-bikes and more 29-inch wheeled aggressive enduro bikes. I've got my Shimano 8020 brakes in the closet here. I'm going to throw on the Ritmo before heading to Costa Rica on Monday just to get some more stopping power. I think it all comes together, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's- the wheel sizes have brought a lot of this tech you, you in. Were,
0: you maybe just stepped into dangerous territory, telling mountain bikers that uh, e-bikes might bring something good to their life. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, I think e-bikes could be amazing if we were to embrace those and welcome them into the mountain bike culture with open arms and do it right. It could grow our world so much, but folks just get so much hatred towards them without even thinking about what could yeah, be possible. So it, it's, it's a whole nother subject. Big picture versus but, small uh, picture. Uh, we yes. will
0: probably touch on that one. Uh, I Just as a, as a small note, I was talking to a guy in the place that we're moving to and he was like, yeah, man, e-bikes are all about it in this town because you don't have to drive your car and you just like cruise to work. Then you cruise to the pub and do it. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I might have to buy an e-bike. So,
1: <laughs> Well, not only that, but the trail network where you're heading to, it's OHV oh. legal. So I've ridden my motorcycle there. You can no problem ride your e-bike on a lot of Interesting. those trails. So, All right. Yeah, you need both an e-bike townie and an MTB Interesting. e-bike. Interesting. Okay,
0: Mike Cachet, let's hook it up. Let's get me an e-bike. All right. <laughs> Mike's my boss, just so everyone knows. I think that um, kind of brings us to our next main thing, which is... How should customers feel about all this, right? We've got Super Boost and twenty nine and twenty nine plus and 27.5 and yada yada. How should customers feel about this uh, going forward?
1: Oh, it's great. They get the best. Like they basically get downhill bikes that can be pedaled uphill comfortably. So it's it's pushed all the technology so much. It's you gotta yeah, love it.
0: <laughs> and I think I'm right there with you. I, you know, this is probably going to be a really short answer. Um, but my thing is. Yep, there's going to be growing pains, and sometimes you're going to be like, dang it, now I have to get an adapter for my awesome wheel set so it fits into this boost frame. But while there are growing pains, ultimately what this leads to is better bikes that can do more, that give you more options to get the one that's right for you. Uh, and it, I think that's awesome, you know, and I get it. I get the customer fatigue on it. I understand uh, frustration with new standards and stuff. But at the same time, what it ultimately has led to is more plentiful options and just makes it kind of more exciting to get that bike that's just right. You know, (laughs) Totally. Uh, I guess last question then is. Uh, you know, we talked about our current arsenal of bikes, but what does that collection look like for you going forward? If you were to dream up what your, you know, next bike collection will be
1: in a couple of years. <laughs> I have no idea. I might have a townie e-bike. <laughs> I'd really like a townie e-bike, but beyond that, I don't know, on the mountain bike side, I have no idea. I really like the setup I've got now though, with these five bikes. I feel like it's, that's the, the minimum, but it's the yeah, sweet spot. I, th- I think you're right. I always have more than one bike for sure. Um, You know, for me,
0: I know one of my bikes that's coming in the near future is an Ibis Ripmo as well. Uh, Super stoked about kind of having a long travel bike that still pedals incredibly well. Um, And I think that's going to be kind of my jack of all trades bike. Um, I do plan on hanging on to my hardtail. That's a, you know, 124 hardtail thing that's super fun to rip around. And I don't know that I see much changing with that. I may dip into a 130 or 140 fork just to make it a little more aggressive but I'm not sure on that other than that I think for me kind of my future of if I'm just talking in generalities is my trail all mountain bikes are most likely going to stay 29 for me I just I've Even though I'm a shorter guy, um, I really enjoy just the all-around versatility of them. But I could see myself on like a 27.5, you know, 170, 180 forked kind of rowdy bike we've got some banshees in that lineup that uh jiggle my liver as i like to say you know get
1: me get me feeling all kinds of spicy and so dude you just need an hd4 with a 170 fork i'm looking at one right here next to me right now that thing does great yeah is that one
0: gonna be for sale oh, yeah <laughs> eventually the right size. <laughs> there we go um uh-huh. Yeah, so I think that's going to kind of be it. I think my play bikes are going to tend towards the smaller wheel sizes and generally longer travel with that. And then my 29ers are generally um, going to be kind of my more everyday trail bikes, I think is probably the best way to put it, um, because they're going to see the most versatile terrain. You know, it's going to be a mix of jumps and tech and wide open pedaling and tight trees and all that kind of stuff and so for me that's kind of where i think that lands so i think that's a pretty pretty solid statement about what i think my future is so now i just have to figure out how to pay for it all so yeah
1: (laughs) yeah hey guys thanks for joining us on another episode of kendall versus kendall this wraps up our wheel wars episodes but we'll be doing a bunch more soon If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, uh, drop us a note via the Jensen USA Instagram or Facebook pages, or you can email Seth directly at skendall at jensenusa.com. Yeah, and follow Jeff on his
0: Instagram and his YouTube channel. Uh, They're absolutely blowing up. Jeff is dropping new content all the time that is just amazing. And he's putting up everything from trail reviews to just sweet ride videos to he just dropped a... Uh, Cali Interceptor uh, product review for a helmet that looks absolutely rad. And every time there's great writing in every single one of them. So even if you're like, I don't need a new helmet, you still need to watch that just for the writing. So as (laughs) always, just remember to keep pedaling. I hope this all sounds good because I've got my new pop filter.